Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. Welcome to Theories of the Third Kind. My name is Aaron, and I am one of your hosts. There's another host that is joining me today, Daniel Sun. Hey, yo. Now, real quick, before we start today's episode, I just want to say that if you would like to support the show, then there are a few ways that you could do that. One of the ways is Patreon. Each week, we release a Patreon-exclusive episode that only Patreon supporters can get access to. The sign-up is only $5 a month, which is only 16 cents a day. Not only do you get an extra episode per week for that $5, but you also get access to our entire back catalog of past Patreon episodes. In total, we have over 147 extra Patreon episodes, which is a lot of extra hours for your listening pleasure. Now, to see this full list of Patreon episodes, just go to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and click on the Patreon Episodes tab. There, you will see an entire list of Patreon-exclusive episodes that we have previously published. Also, today we added another Patreon-exclusive episode, which is over the 1952 Washington, D.C. UFO incident, in which a series of unidentified flying objects entered restricted airspace over Washington, D.C. So you get access to that episode, as well as all of the others, for just $5. Now, if you can't afford a Patreon membership, but you want to help us out, then you can leave us a written review on iTunes or on Spotify, and that helps us out a lot. However, don't feel pressure to leave us one. If you don't want to, then that's fine. We just want you guys, girls, aliens, reptilians, Bigfoot, Sasquatches, Chupacabras, ghosts, Illuminati members, underground lizard people, whoever or whatever you are to enjoy the show. And that is the end of the announcements. So today's episode is about UFO orbs. So how this episode will go today is that we're going to go over a timeline of what has happened here recently, starting from the Chinese balloon getting shot down all the way up until today which we are recording this on Wednesday, February 15th. Then, after that, we're going to go into the strange facts and findings that we discovered while researching this, and then we will go into theories, and then, of course, wrap everything up with our own personal thoughts and theories. So with that being said, let's get into today's episode. Around two weeks ago, the United States shot down a Chinese balloon that was supposedly spying on America. Almost immediately after this event, mysterious objects began to appear over U.S. airspace. Multiple military jets were scrambled and eventually shot these strange orbs out of the sky. Are these mysterious objects actually extraterrestrial drones that are monitoring their creations? Or is it all being made up as a way to keep the public distracted from what is happening in Ohio? This is UFO Orbs. All right, so I know on the Patreon episode last week, we talked about the balloon from China that was floating over the United States and how it was shot down. Well, almost immediately after we published that episode last week, something strange started happening. And I'm sure everyone has heard about it so far. 
but reports started to surface from the United States government that there were multiple mysterious objects over certain areas of the United States and how they shot down a few of them. And that is what our main episode is over today. What these mysterious objects could be, and if they are just a cover-up for what is actually occurring in Ohio, which we go into super detail about during theories. However, before we get into those theories, let's first dive into today's topic. So Dan, do you want to start that off for us? So like Aaron stated, on last week's Patreon episode, we talked about the balloon from China. However, for those of you who do not have Patreon, let us give you a quick rundown of that entire incident. So almost three weeks ago, on Saturday, January 28th, an object was detected over United States airspace high over Alaska. The military's North American Aerospace Defense Command, aka NORAD, determined that the object was a large balloon that posed no threat or intelligent risk, and they closely began tracking it as it traveled along. Two days later, on Monday, January 30th, NORAD tracks the balloon as it travels into Canadian airspace. At this point, military officials have determined that the balloon is 200 feet tall and is used for spying. The balloon was carrying surveillance equipment, including a collection pod and solar panels that were located on a metal truss suspended below it. In total, the equipment on the bottom of it was roughly the size of a regional jet. So, another thing that the military officials discovered at the time is that the balloon could be actively maneuvered to fly over specific locations due to the balloon having small motors and propellers attached to it. Also, at this point, it was determined that the balloon was a part of a Chinese fleet developed for spying, which over the past few years, these type of balloons have been spotted over countries across five continents, including Asia and Europe. So the next day, on Tuesday, January 31st, the balloon re-enters United States airspace over northern Idaho. At this point, the Defense Department alerts the president, who then asks for military options to shoot it down. The following day, on Wednesday, February 1st, the balloon begins to make its way over Montana. At this point, Pentagon officials started to get worried because the area that the balloon was heading towards was the home to Maelstrom Air Force Base, which is one of the three sites that operate and maintain the nation's silo-based intercontinental ballistic missiles. The defense secretary and other military leaders gather together and start discussing the situation. All flights at Billings Logan International Airport are grounded for about two hours as authorities try to figure out what they should do. Also, the military scrambles F-22 fighter jets just in case the decision is made to shoot the balloon down. Ultimately, military officials recommend against shooting the balloon down over land due to the risk of civilians getting hit with falling debris. The president then directs the Pentagon to come up with options to shoot down the balloon as soon as it is safe to do so over United States territorial waters and also states that, hey, you got to figure out a way to recover this payload. The following day on Thursday, February 2nd, the Pentagon issues a statement that a high-altitude Chinese surveillance balloon had entered United States airspace and that the military is working on options to bring down the balloon safely. 
reports begin to emerge of a second balloon being observed flying over Central and South America. Then, on Friday, February 3rd, China releases a statement acknowledging that the balloon is in fact Chinese. However, they state that it is a civilian airship that is used to collect weather data and that it accidentally entered United States airspace. After this statement, United States officials end up pushing back and say that the balloon is clearly used for surveillance and it is a breach of United States sovereignty. That night, the president is briefed on a plan to shoot down the balloon the following morning over Wilmington, North Carolina. The next day, on Saturday, February 4th, the FAA temporarily grounds flights at airports in Wilmington, Myrtle Beach, and Charleston, South Carolina. This allows the military aircraft and ships to get into position to recover the balloon after it's shot down. At 2.39 p.m., an F-22 flying at 58,000 feet shoots a single 9X Sidewinder air-to-air missile that takes down the balloon, which is flying at an altitude of 60,000 to 65,000 feet. The military then begins its efforts in recovering the balloon, which ended up falling six nautical miles off the coast. Only a few hours later, China issues a statement calling the shooting down of their balloon a violation of international practice and threatened repercussions. At this point, the State Department ends up going on live television and telling everyone about how they shot down the balloon. So for the next following days, from February 6th to February 8th, multiple military officials released statements. Now, one senior government official stated that the FBI was expected to take custody of any recovered components of the balloon's payload, and that they were going to ship it to their laboratory that was located in Virginia for analysis and intelligence gathering. Another announcement came from the Pentagon's Brigadier General, who stated that China had conducted four balloon surveillance missions over sensitive sites within United States territory during the recent years. But he didn't disclose exactly when or where the incidents occurred. So it's just kind of like, hey, these have happened before. We had enough of it. We shot down that son bitch. So it took four times for them to get tired of that shit? I guess. <laughs> On Thursday, February 9th, senior FBI officials had a conference call with reporters in which they stated that they were only able to retrieve a small amount of the balloon that was shot down and they did not have enough evidence to conclude what China's intent was. So that is pretty much the Chinese balloon wrapped up. Now we're going to transition into the mysterious objects that started appearing, okay, over the United States. And the first time this occurred was later that night on February 9th. So NORAD ended up detecting an unidentified object over Alaska, traveling northeast, in which two F-35 fighter jets were sent up to identify the object and then actively monitor it. The following day on February 10th, the Pentagon released a statement. Last night on February 9th, NORAD had detected a high-altitude unidentified object over Alaska. They actively monitored the object, which was the size of a small car, and then after some time, they made the decision to shoot it down over the waters of Alaska. It was also stated that this object was most likely not a balloon that was shot down a week prior. The next day, on February 11th, 
NORAD detected another high-altitude object over Alaska. Two United States F-22 aircrafts were sent out to monitor the object. Shortly after that, Canadian aircraft joined them as the object crossed into Canadian airspace. Now, this object was described as cylindrical and silverish-gray color and seemed to be just floating. Now, the fighter pilots checked to see if the object was manned and determined that it was not. So somehow they were able to get visuals on this object and see that it was not being driven by any uh, humans. At this point, Canadian Prime Minister and the son of Fidel Castro, Justin Trudeau, <laughs> ended up calling the United States president to talk about the object over Canadian airspace. After a chat on the phone, they both agreed that shooting down the object would be the best bet. So Biden authorized U.S. aircraft to take down this new high-altitude object. Canadian and U.S. aircraft were scrambled, and a U.S. F-22 successfully shot down the object with a Sidewinder missile. Now, this occurred approximately 100 miles from the Canada-U.S. border in central Yukon. Now, the object was flying at about 40,000 feet and appeared to be a small cylindrical object that did not resemble the Chinese balloon that was previously shot down. The following day, on Sunday, February 12th, another high-altitude object was detected, except this time it was over Lake Huron in Michigan. U.S. military aircraft were scrambled and the object was shot down. Afterwards, United States officials made an announcement that the object was first detected on radar over Montana on February 11th and was seen again on radar over Wisconsin and finally over Michigan on February 12th. U.S. officials also stated that the object was octagonal in structure, a.k.a. it was eight-sided, you know, for the dumbasses like myself that know what that is and not good at math. I know you're good at it, Dan. Anyway, that object was unmanned, and it was traveling at about 20,000 feet. Octagonal. I don't know, I'm like trying to picture that in the sky. I imagine like the UFC octagon, right? An eight-sided competition ring. That's what I imagine. Is a big old UFC ring just floating in the air at 20,000 feet. <laughs> you see Damn. Joe Rogan in it. That's where the next UFC uh, pay-per-view is going to be. <laughs> yeah. That's what they're testing. Anyways, moving on. The following day on Monday, February 13th, the White House stated that they are going to create a team to study airborne objects and the potential security and safety risks that they pose. This new group would be composed of individuals from the Pentagon, Federal Aviation Administration, the Department of Homeland Security, and other government agencies, a.k.a. Project Blue Book version 2. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah, that's what it is. So as of today, February 15th, that is the entire timeline of the Chinese balloon getting shot down as well as the additional mysterious objects being shot down in the weeks afterwards. However, just like I previously stated, this episode does not end here, because during our research, we came across some very interesting facts, which we're going to get into right now. So Dan, do you want to tell us our first strange fact? Our first strange fact and finding is a statement from some of the fighter pilots that were the ones who shot down one of the objects. So these pilots, who tracked down the object over Alaska, stated that 
whatever this aircraft was, interfered with their sensors and that they could see no propulsion systems on the aircraft, not knowing how it could possibly be staying in the air. Was anybody able to get a picture of it? No. Mm-mm. How dare they? All right. So that's our first strange fact and finding. So let's hop into our next one, which has to do with China. So on February 12th, Chinese state media, Global Times, they sent out a tweet that said, and we quote, Local maritime authorities in East China's Shandong province announced on Sunday that they had spotted an unidentified flying object in waters near the coastal city of Rizhao and were preparing to shoot it down, reminding fishermen to be safe. Now, we have a screenshot of that tweet, so if anyone wants to take a look at it, just head to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on today's episode, and there will be all of the images and references that we talk about today. I see numbers in that tweet. Yeah, so it's very odd that they would tweet that out on the 12th, which I have a couple theories. They're deflecting, or maybe that there is mysterious objects. Well, I'll save it for the theory section, but figured we'd mention it now, you know? Gotcha. So let's talk about our next strange fact and finding, Dan. All right, so our next strange fact and finding is about what the Chilean government captured on video way, way back in 2014. Okay, not that far way back. I mean, it doesn't seem that long ago, but when you think about it, that's almost 10 years ago. About nine years, yeah. Damn. Now, we do have a short audio clip that explains the entire situation very well, so we're going to take a listen to that right now. The CEFAA, the Chilean government agency which investigates UFOs or unidentified aerial phenomenon, has declassified and released never-before-seen video from 2014 showing a mysterious flying object of which they suggest could have been a UFO. According to a press release from the agency, a Navy helicopter spotted the unidentifiable object while patrolling a coastal region near Santiago, Chile. The unknown object was seen flying at a constant speed, similar to that of the helicopter, and moving forward. The pilot tried several times to communicate with the object, but he received no reply. Air traffic control failed to detect any flying objects on radar. In two instances, the object ejected some type of gas or liquid with high thermal tracking. Captured on video, you can see a massive plume of material trailing behind the object. Moments later, a second ejection of the unspecified discharge. The flying object was visible for about 10 minutes before disappearing into the clouds without a trace. What could it be? Was it a UFO? Air Force photo analysts confirmed that the three-dimensional object was real with volume and showcased control in its movements. They established that there was no evidence of hoaxing or alteration of the video by any computer application in the editing and processing of the images. Officials also ruled out a bird or flying insect, a drone, parachute, or a hang glider. After an extensive study, the Committee for the Study of Anonymous Aerial Phenomena agreed it had all the characteristics to be classified as an unidentified aerial phenomenon. If that was a damn bird, it was very gassy. That was not a damn bird. That thing was huge. So, of course, if you want to see this video, just head to our website, theoriesofthethirdkind.com, click on today's episode. And a link to this video will be located right there. And you can watch the video and uh, clearly see this object emit some type of gas. It was a lot of gas. I hate to jump back to it again, but in our Patreon episode, 
we talk about one of the encounters that happened in 1952 during that whole global phenomenon. And um, one of the objects was described as having explosions come from it. The object would stop in midair, have explosions, and then whoop, take off again. That's true. I remember that. Then there was the explosion of the lady that stared out the window 30 minutes. She heard the explosion, went up downstairs to the window, I guess, and stared. Yeah. Stalkerish like. Which, you know, seems kind of similar to this Chilean UFO. But regardless, whatever it is, is very weird. I've never seen anything like it before. I suggest everyone go take a look at that video. And then send us an email with what you think it is. It's a bird. No, it is not. That thing's way too big to be a bird. Anyways, all right, so let's go on to our next strange fact and finding, which is about another mysterious object. Except this one occurred 17 years ago. So in 2006, which is the year I graduated high school, and I cannot believe that was 17 years ago. That was the year after. Oof. All right, so in 2006, Space Shuttle Atlantis, which belonged to NASA, launched into space to go to the International Space Station to resupply it and to do some construction. Eleven days later, after a successful mission, Atlantis was preparing to head back to Earth. However, during a routine inspection, they detected a mysterious object floating underneath their spacecraft. Now, we were able to locate a very interesting news clip of a news station describing this incident, as well as the space shuttle program manager talking about how they have experienced multiple objects like this over the years. So we're going to take a quick listen to that right now. The surveys were initially sparked by a mysterious object floating under the spacecraft yesterday. It was detected shortly after a routine check of the shuttle's steering jets. Now, since Columbia, NASA developed several tools and procedures to safeguard the shuttle while in space. NASA admits they may never know exactly what the unknown objects are, but confirms the shuttle is ready to handle the 3,000-degree temperatures it will meet as it re-enters the Earth's atmosphere. Over the years, we have chased many, many, many of these things, maybe not with the visibility that this one has gotten, um, and uh, rarely have ever been able to pinpoint exactly where they came from and always uh, finding out that it didn't pose us any hazard. It seems like these objects have been around forever. Yeah, and I mean, the way they detected it, they NORAD, uh, what, adjusted their radar? Since sensitivity, supposedly it now detects the smaller stuff that they were just avoiding. I, I don't know. I can't speak on that because I didn't look into that. But I heard people talk about that, how NORAD adjusted their radar to detect smaller objects. And that's when they started detecting these uh, unidentified flying objects. Yeah. Which, speaking of unidentified flying objects, our next strange fact and finding is a very, very strange photograph that was taken in 1952. So on July 16th, 1952, at 9.53 a.m., a United States Coast Guard photographer named Shell R. Alpert captured a photograph that allegedly shows UFOs flying in a V formation near the air station located in Salem, Massachusetts. And of course, we will have this photograph on our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it. It is a photograph of oil refinery, and then you see some trees, and then up in the sky, 
there is four glowing orbs in a V-shaped pattern just traveling along. The glow around them is not completely smooth or anything like that. It's like, I don't know how to describe that kind of look. You know, like when you see like the sun setting. Like a glare almost. Yeah. Those things are really bright. Hell yeah, they are. All right, Dan. So why don't you tell us about this last strange fact and finding that we got, which honestly freaked me out when you showed me it. All right. This one definitely caught me off guard because I was just looking up the Chinese balloon thing and trying to see what these other unidentified objects were. And I come across this and it's like, what the hell? So this strange fact and finding that I'm going to bring up is about the Hawaiian islands and the green lasers they have been seeing. So January 28th of this year, the Subaru Asahi star camera in Hawaii ended up catching video of what seemed to be green lasers coming down from the sky. They believed that these lasers were from a Chinese satellite that is used to check for pollution, and someone hinted that they possibly were used for topographical mapping precision, the elevations and all that stuff. But we do have a video. It is of the star camera catching these lasers in action. And we're going to watch that right now, and Aaron's going to describe it to you. All right, so the first couple seconds of the video shows a still frame of the lasers, and then uh, the next 20 or so seconds shows the sky with these green lasers just looks like being shot down from space, just traveling along in a straight line over one. Damn, that was fast. Is that seconds? How fast was that? It's seconds. Like, it's moving super fast. Damn. So that's the entire video. I suggest everyone go watch that one as well. It freaked me out because it started to make me wonder why the hell were they sending spying balloons over here? Why the hell are they taking measurements of certain areas? <sighs> now, why they suggest that it's the Chinese satellites was because at first they did say that it could have been NASA satellites that were doing like weather checking and all that. And then someone from NASA was just like, yeah, like we have, you know, satellites that do that, but that's not ours. That's from somebody else's. <laughs> so they decided to check the trajectory of where the lasers were coming from. It led back to a Chinese satellite. Mm. Well, that has a lot of theories popping up in my head. And I guess that's a good transition for us to go into theories and talk about what these orbs are. And, you know, talk about, you know, the possibilities of what could happen. So the first theory that we're going to talk about is called overblown. And it is, in our opinion, well, in my opinion, I don't know about you, Dan. Uh, it is the lamest theory, but we are going to cover it, okay? So this theory states that the entire UFO orb situation is being overblown. These objects are not extraterrestrials, but are actually other countries testing their new technology. Now, the news media is aware of this. However, they know that UFOs, it's pretty much like a hot topic, and running a headline containing UFOs in it will get more people to watch the news, click the news link, or buy the newspaper, whoever does that anymore, uh, which in turn will earn them more money. So the news media runs these headlines and over-exaggerates them as a way to pretty much profit. And that's our first theory. The only issue I have with that 
is we watched that video of all of the senators, all of the politicians commenting on how they just got out of a classified meeting and they aren't sure what they are, these objects. If the news media was blowing it out of proportion, do you think the politicians would out them and say, hey, no, it's completely blown out of proportion. It's not UFOs. It's other countries spying on us. I don't think they would tell us that it's other countries spying on us. And I don't think the media would either because the government controls the media, you know. Yeah, but they don't control us. But I guess that would be not trying to cause mass hysteria. Yeah, true. With a situation like this, everyone wants to know what they are and all that. So they're going to watch the news. They're going to look it up. And I mean, either way, they're going to earn more money because people are wanting to find out stuff. So they're going to be looking on their sites, going on social media of theirs, watching TV. Yeah. This is a lame theory, though, but. I agree. Yeah. I like the next one. Do you want to tell us about it? I do. So this next theory is called need an excuse. So this theory states that China and the United States actually discovered aliens in their airspace. The governments realize that the public will begin encountering them very shortly. However, they need to buy some time first. They also need a reason to do air drills and shoot down these UFOs without the public noticing. So China and the United States start chatting with one another, and they plan to make up a bullshit conflict about spy balloons. Now China and the United States pretend they are in this feud about balloons, but in reality, they are fighting UFOs and shutting down random airspaces in the process while everyone thinks it's just, you know, random orbs that are floating around. And they're trying to, like, conceal it to buy themselves time to figure out, hey, are we going to be able to win this war against these invading orbs? <laughs> I like this one. I like it, but I don't think that's happening. No, the probability of that happening, I would say, is very low, in my opinion. I mean, if you take, say, just from the 1952, the Patreon episode, how fast those unidentified objects were flying away. Yeah, five to seven thousand to I think even nine thousand miles. Yeah, per hour, one object was over nine thousand miles an hour. It's over nine thousand. <laughs> Our fastest jet or the fastest jet in the world can only go up to twenty one hundred miles per hour. There's no way we're catching these things to shoot them down. I'm pretty sure they can avoid all our missiles and all that such. That's what we are aware of. You think the government would tell us if they had anything faster than that? You think they would announce it to other governments? Let's say if our own government had objects or craft, you know, that are not piloted by actual people. Instead, they're remote piloted. They're some type of advanced surveillance drones. And they send these things out and they're able to go astronomical speeds, right? 4,000, 5,000, 14,000 miles an hour. And they go over certain lands of their enemies and they just do surveillance. And the enemies are like, holy shit, these are UFOs. And they don't suspect that it's, you know, the United States with highly advanced technology doing the surveillance. So to kind of like, hide that fact, the United States ends up basically putting on a show that, oh, these objects are invading our airspace too, not the balloon, but afterwards to kind of like get the heat off them. Eh, I don't think we have anything that fast. I don't know. I think you'd be surprised. Honestly, I would love that they did 
Because maybe they can do that, add those engines to commercial airplanes so we can get places quicker. Jesus Christ. I won't be there just like that. You know, come The G-force, foo. You get knocked out and you wake up. Shit. I took a nap on the plane. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> All right. So let's get into our next theory. Now, this one, I know you dug deep into. You even said you had a dream about it earlier. <laughs> I tell you what, about an hour ago before we started recording this, I took a quick nap to get rid of my headache. I had a friggin' dream about this theory. I've looked into this so much over the past few days. I have gotten maybe four hours of sleep over the past two, two and a half days. So I'm sleep deprived. I have a mild headache and I dream about this shit. Okay. My dedication is real. And now he loves Ohio. Oh my God. <laughs> All right. Speaking of Ohio, that is our next theory. Now, before we get into that, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. All right, speaking of Ohio, that is our next theory, which is called Ohio Distraction. Now, we've had a lot of people reach out to us about this, and we decided to look into it. So to understand this theory, we need to first discuss what has happened in Ohio. All right, so almost two weeks ago, on February 3rd, a Norfolk Southern train that was hauling around 150 freight carriages with around 10 of them containing various toxic chemicals ended up derailing. Now, the train was on its way to Pennsylvania, and of course, it didn't make it there due to the derailing and crashing in East Palestine, Ohio. And just a little FYI, uh, but the exact cause for the train derailment has not yet been determined by the U.S. National Transportation Safety Board. But they did state that it might have been related to a mechanical issues on one of the train car's axles. So they're not 100% certain yet, but that's just an FYI. But regardless, the damn thing derailed and crashed, okay? All right. Like Aaron just said, it derailed, okay? Shortly after that, first responders arrived at the scene, and luckily no one was injured. However... The first responders quickly learned that around a dozen of the carriages that derailed contained various toxic chemicals, such as vinyl chloride, which is a colorless, hazardous gas that is used to make PVC plastic and vinyl products. Now, the carriages also contained other toxic chemicals, and these chemicals had varying levels of toxicity and different fates when introduced to, like, soil and groundwater. Also, the first responders found evidence that one of the train carriages was releasing the toxic chemical vinyl chloride from it, so it was leaking out. Due to this, various other agencies were called in to handle the situation. The following day, on February 4th, officials issued evacuation orders to hundreds of nearby residents due to the release of toxic chemicals from the derailed tankers. On February 5th, one day after the evacuation order, Many officials noticed that some of the residents were not leaving. So the officials told the residents who declined to leave that, hey, you need to leave and evacuate immediately. These rail cars are at a risk of potentially exploding, and that explosion could cause deadly shrapnel to fly everywhere up to a mile away. Now, the officials also stated that crews were going to come in and release chemicals from some of the derailed tankers as a controlled burn so that these tankers would not explode. Now, these chemicals were the toxic ones, okay? Mm. 
Can you do a control burn on toxic chemicals? According to OSHA and the EPA, you can. Um, so when looking up this chemical here, you're supposed to evacuate one mile by one mile. Okay. And then if it's a burn that you cannot control, you're supposed to just let it go and burn off. All right. So the next day on February 6th, the crews ended up releasing toxic chemicals from five of the derailed tankers into the air that were in danger of exploding. Vinyl chloride was slowly released from five rail cars into a trough that was then ignited, creating a large plume above the village of East Palestine. Officials said after the controlled release, crews would then begin the wrecking process in which the cars are moved off the tracks and relocated to a safe area where they'll be looked at by National Transportation Safety Board officials. Officials said that although it was the last option, the detonation went perfect. Now, two days later, on February 8th, residents of East Palestine were told that they could return to their homes. Now, the fire chief of that area, Keith Drabick, said that air and water samples determined that the evacuation area, which covered about a one-mile radius, was safe for residents to return to. A few days later, the Environmental Protection Agency backed up the fire chief and told the residents that it was safe to return to their homes and that they had screened nearly 400 houses and had not detected either vinyl chloride or hydrogen chloride. Now, even though the EPA and the fire chief had stated this, many of the residents of that area still believed that it was not safe to return. And why did they think this? Well, for one, state officials had already counted over 3,500 fish that have floated up to the surface of the water, dead across waterways located near the derailment. Another thing that residents in the area are noticing is strange smells, and some of the residents even have stated that their tongues feel scalded and that they have had blood in their stool for two to three days. Try having it for a week. <laughs> Dan had it for a week. <laughs> Anyways. But that's damn serious, man. All those fish dying in the waterways? I'm not returning. So their tongues feel scarred, like hot burning? Yeah, like uh, if you eat something hot and it burns your tongue, like that. I would definitely want to go back. No, uh-uh. Now, in regards to the train company responsible for this, Norfolk Southern, they have been giving out $1,000 payments to residents who live there and had to evacuate. The company states that the $1,000 payment was to cover costs related to the evacuation. However, many residents of the town have not taken the payments because they are worried that doing so would limit their options for compensation later on if they wanted to join in on a lawsuit. Smart. Very smart on those residents' part. Yeah. So a spokesperson for Northfolk Southern stated that they had set aside funds for residents in the area including more than $1.5 million to help cover the cost of evacuations, and that they were also providing air purifiers to some households and had expanded the eligibility for assistance. Now, on the surface, this seems good and all, right? But to me, it just seems like, you know, they're trying to do, uh, uh, what is it called? damage control, trying to make yep. themselves look good because they know they're in a lot of shit. And a lot of residents in that area think the exact same way that 
this company is just trying to buy their way out of the incident. Those air purifiers, they better be buying some really good ones because the ones you just buy at like the local store and stuff, I don't think they... It's all for show. It's all for show by this company. Another thing that residents in the town noticed is that as soon as the evacuation order was lifted, trains began running through the town again. Also, residents have wondered why officials were in such a hurry to fix certain spots at the railroads when a lot of the town is still unsure if it was safe to drink the water or even breathe the air. Some residents have even started protesting in the downtown of East Palestine. For an example, a man stood on the street corner holding a sign that said, Profits over people. They poisoned the community. The next morning, a father, mother, and a three-year-old girl joined the man, and they held their signs that suggested that the EPA had orchestrated the controlled burn of the chemicals just to get trains running again, declaring that the EPA nuked a town to open the railroad, hashtag Ohio Chernobyl. God dang. You know what? Good for that father, mother, and that three-year-old girl. You know? Good for them. Hope it was warm. (laughs) What? The three-year-old girl. Oh, whenever she was holding the sign and protesting? Yeah. Yeah, man, I feel bad for the residents there. And uh, that pretty much right there is the basics in a nutshell of what happened in Ohio. And I know there's a lot more information, but we are limited on time and we just wanted to run by the basics so we could give you this theory, okay? So in regards to today's topic, there is a theory that all of these UFO orbs that occurred after the Chinese balloon incident, that they were all made up as a way for the government to keep the public distracted from this mess up. So the government was like, oh shit, we had a train derail, we need to come up with something. UFOs, orbs, right? Orbs, were shooting them down. Super Bowl, Rihanna's pregnant. Oh God, why is she pregnant on stage? Yeah. Did she just finger her butt? Oh my God, Dan, what? You haven't seen that? She fingered her butt. Not on stage. She couldn't do that on national television. She was doing like some dance and like she put her hand behind her. They're like, oh, she's digging her butt. Hey, man, when you got a wedge, you got to pick that out. I don't know. I didn't see it. I don't know what they're talking about, but it was, it's trendy. I mean, there's worse things than that about Rihanna going on right now. Oh, okay. Well, we'll save that for later. Yeah. So why would the government not want you to know about this train derailment? Well. There is a theory that's kind of convincing, okay? So, Dan, tell us about this. Now, before we get into that, we're going to take a quick break. It's our last one, so we'll be right back. All right, welcome back. You remember when back in December of last year, how the union workers for the U.S. railroads ended up having a nationwide strike, stating that they wanted paid sick days to railroad workers, and how President Biden ended up signing legislation that blocked the railroad workers from striking? Basically siding with the corporations and stating that if the workers shut down the railroad because of wanted paid sick leave, then that would hurt the American economy. So instead, he made them stop striking and get back to work. Remember that shit? Oh, yeah, I remember. And this theory is pretty much that certain politicians in the government know that this train wreck is a disaster and it could be used as ammo or, you know, a topic of discussion against the current president in re-election. So they decide to distract the public from this by saying that there are UFO orbs that they're shooting down. That, 
I mean, it sort of makes sense. But then again, I think it would be more of a distraction from how much it screwed up and how they kind of covered it up and then just moved on with everything. Exactly. They covered it up, moved on, got the railroads working again, even though they didn't really know what caused the crash. Hey, let's continue these trains going. Let's continue having them go through that area. Which It's like, wait, 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 hold on. You want to figure out the root cause before you have another one of these incidences, right? I mean, at least I would. I want to say I read somewhere, which if someone finds it, if I'm wrong, you can correct me, fact check me. I don't mind, but I swore I read somewhere that some of the railroad workers brought up the fact that part of the railroad in that area was messed up. Their reports were pretty much ignored. And they just moved on, and then like a couple months later, this ends up happening in that area. So instead of saying like it was the actual railroad itself, they blamed it on the railroad, the actual train carrying the stuff. Mm. Okay. I am not 100% on that, but I know I read that somewhere. Somebody fact check Daniel. You can fact check me if I'm wrong, let me know. But that's what I read somewhere. I can't remember where. All right. So that right there is pretty much the Ohio theory. And I know there's a lot more to it, but that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And that was probably the longest theory that y'all will ever hear. (laughs) (laughs) That's a damn long theory, but hey, it's a good one. I enjoyed it. It was a good one. And honestly, I didn't know anything about the Ohio derailment or anything like that because I haven't watched the news. I don't really read many news articles just because. You can't trust the media. Can't trust them. And I mean, I do miss out on some stuff. So There's always a narrative being pushed. There's always an agenda. And that's. Yeah. What I like about what we do is that we give you the facts. We don't sway left, right. We don't care about politicians. We don't care about politics. We don't care about uh, what your religious beliefs are. We're just going to give you the facts and then you form your own opinion. Okay? We give you what we find. Then you can go find your own facts. Fact check us. Come up with your own theories. Shit, correct us. We have no problem with that. Waltons. I hate you, Dan. All right, so let's get into our next theory, which is called adapting. So this theory states that thousands of years ago, aliens arrived on Earth. Now, for whatever reason, these aliens decided to go into hiding and drove their spaceships down into our oceans and kind of just parked them there. Some state that the reason they went into hiding was to stay undetected from an artificial intelligence that roams our universe and destroys life forms. Others state that they went into hiding to stay safe from some type of cataclysm that was occurring on Earth. Regardless, this theory states that these aliens are living down in the oceans. I mean, that's cool and all, right? And I've always said that if there's aliens out there, they're going to be in our oceans, not in space. But what does that have to do with today's topic? Well, some believe that if these aliens do exist at the bottom of our oceans, that they are randomly sending out drones to survey Earth and collect data. These orbs that we're seeing that just recently got shot down, that they are just that, alien drones that update them on the status of Earth to determine how they can adapt to its current conditions. After hearing this theory, it reminded me of what I found, something else I found last night. How... I don't know the Marine's name, but I remember how I was telling you that there was a Marine and like there's others working with them. 
how they're determining or they believe that UFOs are showing up around areas of earthquakes. Yes. So say there is an earthquake in a UFO scene, not saying that the aliens are causing the earthquakes, but it's like making an opening for them to send drones out. Like, what the hell's going on up there? Yeah. So, I mean, that's supposedly a show that's going to be coming up or something like that. I don't know. I forgot what it was called, though. But, yeah, like, there, there's a, a group in, I think, in North America. There's a group in South Africa researching this as well. Okay. All right. Well, that's pretty interesting. It is. And, I mean, I tried to look it up more into it, but that's a lot of research to try to connect them, I guess. Yeah. All right. So let's get into our next theory, which is called ancient craft. All right. So this next theory, like I said, ancient craft, it's similar to our previous one, but a little different. So this theory is that these orbs are really ancient crafts that have been mapping various planets in our solar system for millions of years. This technology is really old and it isn't working as it once did. Possibly this technology is from ancient humans and used by our descendants that was wiped out at the end of the last ice age. And every so often when and the ice thaws out to a certain level, it ends up reaching these orbs. The orbs thaw out, bloop, go up into the atmosphere, start their regular, you know, mapping out, and then get shot down. Or they could be set on a timer. Yeah. So, <laughs> or they could be coming out and looking at the fireworks like we talked about. Oh, yeah. That theory, I swear, that was so good. So we're going to transition now into our own personal thoughts and theories. And this next theory that we're going to talk about, honestly, it was amazing. So me and Dan, we were sitting on our couches across from each other, and we were doing our research, and then somehow we got on the topic of trying to find connections of aliens and certain events and years to see if there was any, like, events that could possibly be linked to this. Dan came across some very interesting stuff regarding fireworks. Do you want to fill them in on that? All right. So Aaron sent a text out like, hey, I need numbers. I need to know like how many sightings there were like during certain years and such like that. And of course, there's no site that we were able to find that actually had all that added up already. So there I am going on to like the official like UFO site where they have like all the reported sightings. And there I'm adding each month of every year up and like writing them down and I'm like finding more links and stuff. And that's how I came across the Marine and the earthquakes thing. But then I come across a site that had, I guess they were using Python to make charts and such with like certain data that they were collecting. And it showed that a lot of the UFO sightings end up happening around 4th of July or New Year's Eve. What's the number one thing that happens during those two days fireworks fireworks so it's either aliens are coming down checking out fireworks like oh what are these are they communicating with us or they're going to war i you know a lot of people automatically think oh the aliens think we're going to war with one another and there's a big you know worldwide war going on they're checking that out but was it you who came up with this theory about language and communication or it was it was one of us it was like we were just discussing the op like why they would do it and i think it's like combination of us both yeah, so we had this thought that instead of the aliens coming down and looking at the fireworks thinking, oh, is this a war? Instead, they send their orbs out 
to monitor the fireworks and they think that it is a way that we communicate. So for years and years, they've been collecting all of this data of firework explosions. And they get it. They try to decipher it, thinking it's our language. And they come to the conclusion, we can't figure this language out. So they obviously are way more advanced than we are. And they're just kind of like sleepers, you know, like a car that doesn't look like it's fast. Yeah. But it's fast that we're sleepers. We don't look like we're smart because we're running around killing each other, you know, over stupid stuff. But then we got this very advanced language that we communicate with and they can't understand it. And so what they do is they kind of just hide back and say, well, maybe this year we'll figure it out when they start communicating again, you know, twice a year. So I was like, especially on 4th of July, they're just like, why do they keep saying call America? <laughs> America, call, call. Oh, man. It's not just the, like North America that's doing like fireworks and stuff. You know, fireworks happen all over the world. Yeah. Chinese New Year, you know, all kinds of like events like that. So, I mean, it's happening all over the world. And these charts like this one I have here, which I'll link is like, are UFO sightings seasonal? Apparently, yes. And like it shows like in the middle of the year is usually when it's like really big. Fourth of July for in the United States from 1950 to 1974. There were more charts, but I have to find them again. But it was definitely very interesting. Yeah, it was Interesting and fun to look into. I loved it. But just from 2010 to 2022, guess which year had the most reported UFO sightings? 2010 to 2022. I'd say 2012 because the Mayan calendar. Close. 2013? That would be the second. 2013 was lower. 2014 was at 8,772. Damn. 2012 was 8,192. Damn, what are all the rest of them? So, say 2010 was 4,839. 2011 was 5,672. And that's where it jumps up almost like 3,000 to 2012 at 8,192. Then it goes down to 7,865 in 2013. Then back up to 8,772 in 2014. And then it kind of like stays around five to 7,000. 2018 it dropped down to like 3500 but at, in 2020 it jumped back up to 7371 it's cuz everybody was bored they were all locked in from the you know the thing we can't say or we get automatically marked as misinformation even if we say the word devoc backwards <laughs> oh oh my god devoc that's what we'll call it now devoc but yeah everyone's bored everyone's at home looking outside like i wish i could go outside What's that in the sky? Is it a bird? Is it a plane? I don't know what it is. Must be a UFO. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But anyways, that's some really good information. And we'll post this graph from 1950 to 1974 that Dan found of the sightings. We'll post that up on our website for anyone that wants to take a look at it. But uh, I'm going to ask you, Dan, give me your final thoughts. Do you think that these orbs are extraterrestrial? Do you think it's secret technology? Do you think it's all made up? What's your personal opinion about it? I don't think they're actually extraterrestrial. We had this discussion yesterday about what they could be, especially after finding like the lasers in Hawaii and such. I don't know. I don't see China being very nice to us. We're so many trillions of dollars in debt. Russia and China don't like us 
considering the Ukraine situation right now. Not even like not really the Ukraine, but like the bio labs. We did an episode on that. We have labs there. It's it's not misinformation. We did an episode over it, like Dan said, and we pulled the facts and there are bio labs there that we own. That's not misinformation. That's a 100 percent fact. Yeah. And China called us out on it. I don't know. I don't see China being too happy with us. And I don't know, just seeing the path of it. It it's a it's a big assumption to think that they're checking us out. I don't think it's actually extraterrestrials. I think it's some other country testing us, showing like a show of force. Like, hey, look what we're doing. We're getting away with it. Yeah, that's what I'm going to have to say is that as grim as this sounds, I think Russia and China in the background are kind of communicating with one another. And China is doing these surveillance missions by sending the balloon, by sending these lasers down, sending that information to Russia. So Russia has that on backup in case they need to go to war with us. Or maybe they're just keeping it for themselves to say, hey, you know, we've got this information on deck. And that all these orbs that we're shooting down is their technology that the government doesn't want to acknowledge because, I mean, how is the public going to react to, oh, all these orbs are China's or Russia's? It's like, well, are we under attack? Are we safe? That's what the public's going to think. It's going to be blowback on the administration. It's like if you follow the Chinese balloon, the route that it took, it went from like China up to the Arctic where Alaska and stuff is, and then comes down into United States airspace and such. Then as we were like looking and stuff, where are Russian nuclear subs at? 22 miles off the coast. Yeah, 22 miles off the coast in Arctic area. Their newest nuclear sub that has a missile that, we can't fucking stop. Hate we to say it. We, we cannot stop it. And they're that close to us. And it's chilling up in the Arctic where the balloon flew over. I don't know. Damn. It's just a coincidence there that makes it grim and ugh. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, I hope not either. But I don't know. I guess we'll see in the next uh, couple years and see what happens, you know. Yeah, hopefully nothing. Well, if you are a loved one own one of these mysterious UFO orbs or you know what they are or you know you had one fall in your backyard or a piece of it or if you know anything about the Ohio train derailment and you got proof that the water is still undrinkable and that the air is still toxic and I'm not talking about you saw a TikTok video I'm talking people who actually live there in that location please send us an email I want to get in contact with you and actually get real information from an individual. I want to hear more about the lasers in Hawaii. I want someone that actually seen them, if they saw them, what they experienced, like how it made them feel. Well, if anyone has experienced any of those things, send us an email to Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com or Dan, D-A-N, at theoriesofthethirdkind. We would love to hear from you that we would all right so with that being said do you have anything else you want to add to today's episode dan i do not i think we did a lot of research on that one we did a ton of research so much so that i had dreams about this shit man that is the end of today's episode so now we would usually transition to our on the scene this week but we're going to postpone it to next week so if anybody wants to go interview someone about current conspiracy happenings just get your phone interview that person, or you can give your opinion about whatever that's happening in the world. 
make sure that the recording is less than two minutes long and that uh, there's no music playing in the background and you are not eating. And send that audio recording to either me or Dan and we will provide it at the end of the show next week. And the reason we aren't doing it this week is because I'm starting to lose my voice. So hopefully I'm not getting sick again. I hope not. I have to decontaminate that microphone. Oh, Jesus. I think that's what's getting me sick. But uh, in regards to birthday shout-outs, which we usually do next, I figured we could do these three. We just have three right now. Yeah, we just have three on here. So our first birthday shout-out this week goes to KWAD Quad. K-Wad. Quad. K-Wad. Quad. Quaid. Their birthday is on February 22nd. So happy birthday to them. I hope it's a good one. We love you and are proud of you. Happy birthday. Our next birthday shout out goes to Headley, who's turned four years old on February 21st, was requested to tell him he's the most awesome kid ever and daddy loves him. Happy birthday, Headley. Happy birthday. Your daddy loves you. All right. So our next birthday shout out goes to Eric Serta. His birthday is on February 22nd. Happy birthday to you. I hope it's a good one. We love you and are proud of you. Happy birthday, Eric. All right, so that's the birthday shout-outs for this week. If you want a birthday shout-out, again, please send an email to support, S-U-P-P-O-R-T, at theoriesofthethirdkind.com, and make sure to provide in the subject line birthday shout-out, and we will add it to our document so that we make sure we give you it. All right? Okay. So with that being said, do you have anything you want to say, announce? Anything at all, Dan, before we roll this episode out? If you live in Ohio, please be safe. Yes. Stay safe out there to the people living in Ohio that's dealing with that and the people that's downwind from those uh, chemicals. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to thank you all for joining us today. And again, thank you for your support. You are all amazing, every single one of you. So with that being said, Dan, you want to roll us out? Sure will. It's okay to be out of this world with your thoughts. Because you? are not alone.